like always, why don't we uh, why don't we pray and ask God to help us hear from Him? Uh, Father, we we thank you that we can come together in this place. Uh, we think of uh, many who are traveling on spring break today, and uh, we also pray for those that are afraid of foot washing, and uh, we lift them up to you, and uh, hope they're having a good time by the TV this morning. We. Uh, we pray, God, that we really would hear from you as we study this passage together. We, uh, we open ourselves up to you and to your word and uh, ask you to challenge, convict, encourage all the things that your spirit and your word do. Would you do that in us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a moment in Jesus' life and ministry that is sandwiched between some very intense, very exciting, very dramatic events that unfold in Jesus' life. Uh, On an ordinary Palm Sunday, we would talk about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus riding on the back of a donkey and and coming into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, we have certainly done that before. Uh, That was an intense, exciting moment. Uh, There were most likely thousands and thousands of people uh, lining the way. And uh, taking off their coats and laying those in front of Jesus, many with palm branches doing the same thing. Um, that, of course, was followed very soon afterwards by Jesus' arrest and his trial, his mock trial and his crucifixion. But sandwiched between those events of his triumphal entry and the arrest and trial and crucifixion was this quiet dinner that took place in the upper room. And uh, this dinner is one that Jesus had with his closest disciples and friends. And Jesus took full advantage of this quiet time together, away from the crowds, uh, away from the temple teachings and the temple healings that had been taking place, uh, away from the battles with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, people that wanted to see the ministry and the life of Jesus undone. He took this moment of quiet uh, time to eat with his closest friends. And at first, it appears to be just another ordinary Passover celebration. But then the time comes where Jesus gives the the new commandment. In Latin, the word mandatum means commandment or it means command. And uh, this is why we call Thursday Monday Thursday or Command Thursday. It's a Thursday where Jesus gave this new command. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's kind of interesting to note that Uh, In John's gospel, the author has never actually stated explicitly that Jesus loved his disciples. Uh, We're told earlier on in the gospel, you're all familiar with this verse probably, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we're familiar with, uh, with that statement made early in the gospel of John. But understand, on this night, this quiet night, at this particular moment... Things get profoundly personal for each of the disciples. Because it's not about the world and God loving the world, or it's not about God loving all of Israel. It's about them. And again, it's profoundly personal. It's about the way that Jesus loved James and John and Peter and Andrew and Matthew and Thomas and the rest of the apostles. And for those sitting, actually they didn't sit, they reclined. For those reclining at the table with Jesus that night, it's clear that before they could ever understand the command to love one another, they needed to understand that the command said something about them. 
something profoundly important about them. Because before you can love others well or love others sacrificially, you really have to understand the fact that you are loved, deeply loved. And so this night, this meal, this event, while yes, it's about loving others, before that, it's actually about being loved. And that's the aspect that we're going to reflect on this morning. Jesus' disciples first had to grasp just how much Jesus loved them. He said, after all, as I have loved you, love one another. And so naturally, the next question is, well, how did Jesus love them? What did that look like? And at the very start of this story, John writes and he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Or actually a better translation of that, it comes out of the New International Version Bible, he showed them the full extent of of his love because this is a less a statement about time that he would love them to the end and really more a statement about depth just how deeply he loved them and part of what is so special about this night that jesus has with the disciples the night in the middle of all this chaos is that jesus pauses to make it very clear to them very clear just how much he loved them As evening begins, it doesn't seem like there's anything too out of the ordinary. Now, we know that Jesus knew, of course, that the next few days were going to entail entail a laying down of his life. But for everyone else, it sort of seemed like business as usual at this moment. Everyone was probably a little annoyed at Peter, uh, who wouldn't stop talking about the triumphal entry there on Palm Sunday and the number of people that came out to that event. Wow, could you believe how many there were? It It was fantastic. Could you believe it? And then Philip wasn't even really paying attention because he had developed a blister on his foot walking down from Galilee to Jerusalem for this celebration, and it was really bothering him. And then there was Andrew, who was wondering silently, of course, he wouldn't say this out loud, if there was going to be more wine than he saw available on the table. And he's speculating that somebody had already been drinking more than their fair share, probably Simon the Zealot, because after all, Andrew had always said, never trust the Zealot. Now... You know, truth be told, we don't really know these details. We don't know what the disciples were thinking or talking about over dinner. But what we do know is that right in the middle of this meal, Jesus interrupts it by doing something quite extraordinary. This is what we read. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so mid-meal, Jesus gets up and takes off his outer garment, and that would leave him wearing uh, the undergarment, which was like a long tunic, a very, very long uh, T-shirt, so to speak. This garment was actually what a servant would wear who would be serving around the house, in this case, maybe serving a meal. And so Jesus gets up from the table and literally dresses himself like a servant. Paul would later write to a church in Philippi. He would write these words about Jesus. He said that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And the point is pretty simple. You see, Jesus isn't just acting here. Jesus never was just acting He really embodied or took on himself the very nature of a servant. You know, there's a difference between choosing to serve occasionally uh, and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve occasionally, that's not a bad thing. It's certainly a good thing. Same with you. 
But at the end of the day, you know, I'm still very much in charge. I choose who I will serve. I choose, choose when I will serve, how I will serve them. And oftentimes, I make that choice when it works in my favor. Any of you do this? Or just the minister? You know, you, you choose to do something nice for someone when there's going to be some kind of payback or someone's going to notice. You know, shoveling the, the neighbor's driveway if, uh, if there's snow on the drive and you're out there and you're thinking, wow, I'm pretty good. I'm quite the neighbor. I, they ought to be so happy to have me living next door to them and uh, hoping maybe that somebody's looking out their window and seeing, you know, that kind of thing. Or running an errand for somebody who's sick and then getting the, that joyous feeling of having them thank you just profusely for the help that you've given them. When you serve this way, you're, you're still very much in control. You choose when and how and who you will serve. But I'll tell you, when you become a servant, that's something different. Then serving actually becomes a way of life, and you relinquish the need to be in control. In fact, you can't really be in control. You're the servant. You relinquish the need to gain anything from those whom you serve. And in some ways, this was the game that the disciples used to uh, play again and again and again. As you know, in those days, it was uh, customary for a servant of the host of the home to wash the feet of guests who would come to visit. Uh, this was a sign of hospitality. Roads would, of course, be very dirty. Uh, there were usually no sewer systems or sewage systems uh, in and around these villages or in these towns. Uh, walking was the primary mode of transportation. The effects of these conditions could usually be seen on a person's feet. Feet were very, very dirty. And so coming into a person's home, uh, perhaps for a meal, necessitated someone washing the feet of the guest. And uh, it was not a pleasant job. Nobody signed up and said, oh, me, me, let me do it. You really didn't want anyone having to do this job who was uh, looked up to or someone who was respected. You wanted someone to do this job who didn't matter, someone who was lowly, someone who would mostly be unnoticed as they did it. Now, if you wanted to impress someone, uh, someone who was socially above you, someone who had more honor than you, if you wanted to demonstrate your willingness to serve them completely, uh, maybe you would, in a case like that, wash their feet. That would be quite a, quite a sign, quite a symbol to them of your devotion, of your service. But you certainly wouldn't expect somebody that you respected, somebody that you looked up to, to wash your feet. That just wasn't how this worked. Now Jesus, on the other hand, breaks into that paradigm and just destroys it. He shows his disciples a different way. Uh, he had no need, of course, to manipulate them. He, he wasn't trying to do any image management or image control. That wasn't at all what Jesus was up to. In fact, John writes and says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Well, how did he do that? Well, by taking on the nature of a servant. It's so interesting what Jesus does. Uh, again, he has nothing to prove. He has no image whatsoever to protect. 
He knew that he had come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. And so his identity was deeply rooted and grounded in the love that the Father had for him. You know, we know on a couple of occasions, very important occasions in the life of Jesus, the Heavenly Father actually spoke to him. You remember his baptism. Jesus is beginning his public ministry. And uh, so everything is out in front of him at this point. Uh, All the events of his uh, public ministry are out in front of him. And what happens is, is that when John the Baptist baptizes him and Jesus comes up out of the water, there's the voice of the Heavenly Father and there's the dove descending and the voice of the Heavenly Father says, this is my son whom I love. That's what happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, an affirmation of the Father's love for him. We know that later on, uh, at a really unusual event, uh, the transfiguration, uh, Jesus was actually, uh, his demeanor uh, his appearance changed in front of several of his disciples. And, uh, and a voice uh, also spoke out loudly while the disciples were there. And they were amazed that Jesus was suddenly uh, transfigured. He was just bright, bright, white. And, and they heard a voice saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him, is w- what the voice said. So on numerous occasions, on several occasions, uh, Jesus heard the affirming love of the Father declared over him. And that was kind of an anchor for everything that, that Jesus did. Um, it was the love of the Father that the Father had for him that gave him the capacity to serve and to literally lay down his life for people who did not deserve his service uh, and certainly did not deserve his death. Jesus' identity was deeply rooted and grounded in the love that the Father had for him. His capacity to love was directly related to his own knowledge that the Father actually loved him by an extraordinary, never-ending kind of love, never-wavering kind of love. And because of this knowledge, Jesus could sacrificially love and sacrificially serve his disciples, wanting nothing from them, needing nothing back in return. So I think it's true that before we can embrace the command to sacrificially love or serve others around us, we must embrace the love that Jesus has for us. It's the same dynamic that Jesus had with the Father. We have to have our identity rooted and grounded in just how much Jesus loved us. Uh, The Apostle John wrote about this, and he said, we love because he first loved us. And what John was referring to was the fact that there are lots of unlovable people out there, lots of people that don't deserve your love, but we're called nevertheless to love. We're called nevertheless to serve. So why on earth would I do that? Well, only one reason. We love because he first loved us. Jesus knows that the months to come are not going to be easy for this bunch. He knows the mission that he's calling them to embark on will require that they remember this moment that they're having together now, it will require that they know they are loved. I mean, soon enough, they're going to be called to go out into the world like sheep among wolves. They will be called to, to go out and love the unlovable. They will be sent on a mission that's going to end, for some of them, with severe persecution, even torture, even death, laying down their lives because they follow Jesus. And so Jesus knows they need this moment. He knows their mission will not be possible if they don't have this moment, if they don't remember this moment. So slowly, Jesus works his way around the room one by one, 
washing their dirty, cut, bruised, blistered feet. When I was a little boy, uh, my family visited some relatives of my mother in Albany, Kentucky. And these relatives lived way back in the deep, deep woods of southern Kentucky. One man we visited who I I think was my mother's uncle. Not certain about that, but I think that was the connection. Um, It was my mother's uncle. And he was sitting in what they called their parlor. Anybody here have a parlor? Yeah, kind of a sitting room area. And we were the guests, and they were greeting us very graciously. And and he had his overalls on, and he had his socks and his, his work boots off. And I will never, ever, ever, as long as I live, forget his feet. Uh, he had no toes. Um, they were the strangest feet that I had ever seen. They were both fascinating and frightening all at the same time, especially to a, a young boy. Uh, apparently, uh, he was diabetic and, and uh, somehow, in, in the process, had lost his toes related to the, his diabetes. I remember his wife. His wife was uh, kind of average height, but very stocky, very strong. I remember thinking, boy, she looks strong. And, and she came into the parlor, and he was sitting on a, a small sofa there. And she sat beside him with a pair of clean socks in her hand. And she said, give me those feet. That's what she said. And she kind of picked his feet up and held them in her lap and proceeded to lovingly put these clean socks on his feet and and then continued to hold his feet in her lap and sort of just kind of rubbed them, you know, massaged them a little bit as, as she was holding him. And although I didn't know this man or this, this, his wife really at all, I'd never met them before and never uh, actually uh, saw them after this, there was one thing I did know. <clears throat> this woman loved this man deeply. You could just tell. You could tell by how she served him without embarrassment. Just kind of held his feet and rubbed them and just all kinds of humility. You know, she wasn't embarrassed by him or by this at all. Give me those feet, you know, she said lovingly. And you could tell she cared about the part of him that was the most visibly broken. Uh, Truthfully, um, we all have broken parts in us. Everybody here. Uh, Parts that we would prefer to hide. uh, Parts that we don't want really anyone to see. Sometimes that's physical. Sometimes that's emotional. uh, Sometimes that's spiritual. Parts that are broken. And you know the true was saying the the same truth uh, was could be said of the disciples of Jesus that were gathered in that upper room. You know in that room with Jesus that very night uh, there were hearts full of contradiction. Uh, There were people saying all the right things outwardly, but inwardly they were plotting great evil. Who was doing that? Judas, yeah. And there were people with the best of intentions in that room, but when push came to shove, fear would get the best of them, and they'd do the very thing they promised never to do. Who am I talking about? Peter, yeah. Lord, I won't deny you, he said. Later on that night, Jesus would tell this very same group, one of you is going to betray me. That's what he said. But apparently Judas was not the obvious choice because John goes on to say his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Kind of picture the situation. 
I've often read that phrase and I thought, well, you know, the disciples must be confused. Uh, each one thinking, well, who could it be? I know it's not me. So who could it be? Each one very sure that they would never deny Jesus, never turn their back on Jesus. But you can also read this verse to mean that, yes, they are confused because deep down they're uncertain. Deep down they're a little afraid that it might be them. Deep down they're worried, you know, am I the one Jesus is talking about? Does Jesus know about all the things that I've said and done, all the doubts that I have? All the selfish thoughts that I've harbored and do harbor in, in my heart. Does, does he know about my secret past? Does he know where my thoughts tend to go? Places I'd be ashamed of if anyone knew. Am I the one, Jesus? And for many of us, you know, our greatest fear uh, really is that one day we will be found out. Because there's stuff we protect and stuff we hide. And stuff we'd be so ashamed if others knew. You know, our dirty, grimy feet would be exposed, is the picture there. And our fear is, is not just that our feet would be exposed or something secret in us would be exposed. It's the fear that our exposure will leave us unloved. You see, we're all pretty sure that if the truth, the complete truth about us was known by others around us, they would love us a lot less, maybe not love us at all. <clears throat> Perhaps this is why uh, Peter, when Jesus is going around the room and washing feet, you know, Peter puts up a fight. He says, no, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Never. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I've got to wash your feet. It doesn't make sense to you right now, Peter, but in a few days, you're going to understand. You see, in a few days, Peter, when you're at your lowest moment after you've denied knowing me three times and run away in a few days when you are feeling more ashamed than you've ever felt in your life in a few days when you feel completely alone and utterly unworthy of love you will be glad that i washed your feet you'll remember this moment you will need this moment the moment when the worst of you was exposed and i still loved you I still received you. I still served you. Peter, I don't just love your clean hands and your presentable face. I love all of you, not just your achievements or your, your intellect or your witness for me. Yes, I love all of that, but I love even your feet, Peter. That's what Jesus is telling them. That's what he's communicating to the disciples when he washes their feet. It's a love the likes of which they've never experienced before. I can absolutely promise you they will never forget the night that Jesus got up and washed their feet. Again, it's so interesting to me. You know, because of the tradition of that time when people would come into your home, uh, the offer of hospitality to have a servant wash their feet and so was just expected. Well, obviously what happened here, <laughs> they'd come to this Passover dinner to eat it with Jesus and everybody had dirty feet, uh, but apparently none of the disciples said, you know, looking around, hey, we've all got dirty feet, uh, maybe I should wash your feet. I'm going to kind of assume this, we don't really know it, but I'm assuming they're thinking, yeah, I got dirty feet. Uh, who here is going to wash my feet? And because nobody offered, they're all sitting there or reclining around the table with dirty feet. None of them volunteered to be a servant. But Jesus did. 
And that's fully loving. That's loving to the full extent. Jesus says to each of the disciples, give me your feet. Give me your feet. And frankly, friends, the love of Jesus is extraordinary. It's truly extraordinary. And, um, you know, I just ask you, do, do you, do you know this love? There's an author that I really appreciate, and I've read some of his books over the years. He passed away recently. His name is Brendan Manning. And Brendan Manning uh, was a, just a very gifted speaker, a very gifted author. He would write frequently about the grace of God. Come to find out that Brendan Manning uh, was an alcoholic his whole life long, always battled the demon of you know, alcoholism, and even right up till nearly the day he died. And uh, so... Brendan Manning was someone who really celebrated the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. He wrote these words. He said, Jesus came not only for those who skip morning meditations, in other words, the goody-two-shoes people. You know, the worst thing you can think of about yourself is you didn't read the Bible that day, right? If that's you, great, good for you. But anyway, Jesus came not only for those who skip morning meditations, he writes, but also for real sinners. And by the way, you know, if you're visiting in this church, this is a church of real sinners. I know, I know a lot of these people. You don't want to, anyway... Jesus came not only for those who skip morning meditations, but also for real sinners, thieves, adulterers, terrorists, for those caught up in squalid choices and failed dreams. Jesus came to love the worst of the worst. Jesus came to love the ones that were beyond hope. Truth is, Jesus came to love you and me. That's remarkable. He says to all of us, Give me those feet. That's what he says. Do you know that love? You know, the command that Jesus gave us that night is a great command, a mandatum. It's a command that would eventually change the world. That's that's what Jesus commanded the disciples. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And they did. This is a great command. But before this command is about loving others... I hope you see that it's about you being loved. Do you see that? See, before you can go and love others sacrificially, you must understand that you are loved. Jesus says, as I have loved you. Do you know that love? You know, um, the love of Jesus is easy to embrace once you understand it. Uh, He came came to this earth and took on the very nature of a servant and proceeded to teach and instruct and heal and pray for people. And and then he laid down his life on the cross for people, for you and me. And then he invited people to come follow him. He said, come follow me. And, of course, we do that by faith. We we put our faith in him and, and then we live our lives with him. And that's what a person embraces when they embrace the gospel, this life and this teaching of Jesus. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, what I'm going to say in a moment is just going to shock you. You're going to want to get up and run out because in a moment, you're going to have the opportunity, I emphasize that word, opportunity, to wash one another's feet. We've never done this before in this church, so we figure once every 30 years, this is what we need to do, uh, wash our feet. Uh, you're not, you don't have to do this. Let me stress that. This isn't something everybody has to participate in. It's just something that some of us are going to choose to participate in. 
And the beauty of this exercise is that as we do this, we, we're actually taking off our shoes. We're actually exposing a part of ourselves that maybe is not so pretty. And that's really what's being symbolized in this act of foot washing as well. It's a way of acknowledging that, you know, not everything about me is pretty. I don't have it all together. Never have, never will. Not till Jesus comes back. I'm not who I always appear to be on the outside. There's parts of me that aren't nearly so good as what the, you know, it appears on the outside. There's stuff in me that's broken. I have dirty feet. I would ask you to come to this exercise, this foot washing exercise, with nothing more than humility. I mean, what else can you bring, right? Come with humility. Come just as you are to this. I'm going to guess um, that some of you on the way to church this morning had a fight. If you were riding with somebody else, or maybe you were fighting with yourself, well, come just as you are. Uh, I'm going to guess that there are people here who spoke words this week to someone that, gosh, you wish you could have those words back because they were hurtful words. They hurt the relationship. I'm going to guess that there's some folks here this morning who are tired, they're maybe sick, maybe they have all kinds of needs, who knows, spiritual, physical needs. I'm going to guess that there's someone here this morning who loves Easter but also hates Easter because of all the cooking, cleaning, Easter basket stuff that you have to buy and put together and do and all that. I'm going to guess there's someone here who's very sure of your faith in God at this moment. But maybe like Peter, tomorrow you could have doubts. I'm going to guess that there are people here this morning that have secrets. In fact, I'm just going to assume all of us here this morning have secrets. Stuff we would really have a hard time with, with others knowing. Well, just come as you are and let this exercise, if you participate in it, be profoundly personal. Profoundly personal. And know that before you serve or love someone else, realize Jesus has served and loved you. Do you understand? I mean, we, of course, uh, those of us who follow Christ, we believe that Jesus is here with us. We believe that our worship, we hope that our worship delights him. But do you understand that if Jesus was here bodily this morning, do you understand he would be washing your feet? He would be washing your feet. Realize that Jesus has served and has loved you with a never-ending, never-giving-up, always, always forgiving, always their kind of love. That is Jesus' love for you. And because of his love for you, because of his love for me, we can turn around and love others. And that's what is really being symbolized in this little exercise of foot washing. When you are washing someone else's feet, you are being like Jesus to them. Not looking for anything in return, obviously not looking for praise, not looking for anything, just humbly being a servant. And then when you trade places and they wash your feet, that's actually in some ways the hardest thing, to realize that somebody is serving you that way. But now they are being Jesus to you.
And in doing an exercise like this, we're, we're really reminding each other just how much, how deeply, how consistently we need the ministry of Jesus in our lives. That's what we're symbolizing. Jesus would say to you this morning, every one of you, even if this makes you nervous and even if as soon as we, we end this part of the service you get up and run out, okay? Jesus would still, still say to you, give me those feet. He would want to wash your feet. Now, we want to kind of, um, let me emphasize once again, you don't have to participate in this part of our service. Um, we will, uh, we're going to show you a video here that will show you how to wash feet because some of you are very challenged and don't know how to wash feet. Um, and uh, we have a little process, uh, and you can see how that works. <clears throat> After that, the band that will come up here and, and begin to play, and as they play, you are free to, to get up out of your seat if you wish to participate and go to one of these four stations on each side. And uh, you'll do what you see the folks doing on the video. Uh, you can also just sit in your place if you don't want to leave right away and, and worship through the music that's being played. Uh, or you are also free to get up and leave the service if you like. So you have three options. Is that clear? Is that confusing? You'll figure it out. So uh, take a look at the video. You'll see the process uh, as it's in place. And... Um, and then I'm going to come up after the video as the band will be playing, but I'm going to also pray. So take a look at the video. <laughs> 